Returning to the show, I think you were our first guest, Risa. So welcome back to the show, Risa Houston. Oh wow, first guest! I think you were. I sure, I'm sure it only went up from from our first recording. <laughs> you know, you are actually one of the most popular episodes. Oh really? Yeah, we talked a ton about all of your gravel exploits and yeah. what it takes to be, you know do an ultra endurance race, and uh, people really were into it. A little bit of bike skills and a lot of crazy. <laughs> That's what it takes. Yeah, you know, coming from the track world as I as I primarily have been, you know, a twenty minute race that seems like a long time, (laughs) and so I admire anybody who can do something for that long. I mean, it's everything that happens on a bicycle is something that I personally love. Yep, and it's just it's easy once you decide like, yeah, twenty minutes of hard track racing is really brutal. Mm-hmm. So like 15 hours of gravel racing should be fine. Yeah, it's totally easy. Yeah. <laughs> and and you obviously commute to work. Uh, yeah. you know, one of the things that you uh, you talk a lot about is is, you know, what what you do is how you get to work. Uh, how long have you been doing that? Well, I've been commuting by bicycle to wherever I've been working for the last 10 years. Okay. Um, I'm not a person who commutes every day. Mm-hmm. I'm a person who, you know, like I always try when I can. I love being on my bicycle. Mm-hmm. I always try to fit in at least two rides to and from work in a week. Nice. Um, you know, some days I make it all five days mm-hmm. and some days, or sorry, excuse me, some weeks I make it, you know, once, once or yeah. some weeks I go like one or two weeks without getting to ride into work at all yeah but it's all it's all just a matter of identifying like how much time i have and how much energy i have sure um and you know assessing the conditions as well and so you live in south minneapolis and you work in south bloomington right essentially i work in south burnsville burnsville even farther okay so i used to work in west bloomington i would commute by bicycle to qbp actually um commuting to qbp was like my longest stretch of only commuting by bike, mm-hmm. um, that made it a lot, it, it made it very easy to commute there because, uh, Bloomington and Edina are fairly sensitive mm-hmm. to their bikeways. Yep. So they do actually have fairly well-maintained bikeways all yeah. the way from South Minneapolis to, to Bloomington. Um, Burnsville has been a tougher nut to crack. Yeah. Sure. I, uh, I worked, uh, just off of Nicollet and, uh, was it 13 for a long time in Burnsville and, uh, and I could never figure out a good way to, to do yes. that. What, what route do you take? So I, um, from, from my house in South Minneapolis, I try to basically just like do a straight Southern shot, um, down Nicollet. And then I have to go East a little bit to like get get farther far enough east to get across the old cedar bridge right um when that is open yep uh and then i i take a i take a like straight road that's closed to traffic is that black dog i do yeah, yeah okay yeah yeah and then um i basically just work my way through some neighborhoods mm-hmm. to get to get up to wolf tooth components yeah. in burnsville and how long yeah. does it take you to get there it's about 18 miles. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, an hour and 20 minutes yeah. is what I need, mm-hmm. really. I mean, there are a lot of sections where you can really um, put your head down and just ride hard yep. for, for a short period of time. But there, are, there is also a lot of, like, high traffic areas where you're... You know, sitting and mm-hmm. waiting with idling traffic yeah. to get across busy streets and stuff. So, um, I, I need I need a I need an hour and twenty minutes what, flat. What percentage of your trip would you say has proper bike infrastructure? I mean, like, or some kind of bike infrastructure available to you? I think I think optimistically twenty percent of my ride has really? protected bike lanes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's yep. tough. That's <laughs> tough. Well, I can imagine, you know, once you get down to like 494, you know, south of Richfield, yes. there's really not that much left, especially yes. on Nicollet. It's a pretty highly trafficked, high speed street, right? Yes. Richfield has been um, investing for the last 10 years in their bikeways. Mm-hmm. There are some really committed people in that area mm-hmm. that have been identifying, you know, how do people get around our city yeah. um, by bicycle? And it's really paid off, especially especially since the renovations on Nicollet and Lindale in the mm-hmm. last five years. Yeah. Uh, Bloomington is following suit. They are adding bike lanes, what feels like by the minute. Good. Um, it's, it's really catching up in, in the Bloomington area. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not all the way there, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I anticipate in the next like five years, Bloomington will be a very, bike friendly place. To that's fantastic yeah. to hear. Yeah, yeah. That's really exciting. You, uh, 
you obviously have done it for a long time. What's your favorite part of your ride to work? I mean, on the way into work, I hate this part of my route because it's just it just feels very long and boring and like I just become mentally like I, I tune out. Yeah. But, you know, Black Dog Road on the way into work, I'm like, mm, if I'm running late, I'm only thinking about like all the emails that are piling up sure. on my desk. Yep. Um, but on my way home, I really love riding Black Dog Road. You it's know, really it's, pretty down there. It is gorgeous. Yeah. It's it's such a special place because it's right between the river. You can see like all the seasons all year round. You can mm-hmm. see like these different changes that are happening in the river Valley. There's a lot of wildlife down there. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a coyote on my way in. No kidding. Yeah. Fun. Last week. It's really, it, it can really be beautiful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It can also be brutally cold. Yes, it can. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like an open chasm where if there's any wind, the wind is 32 degrees, no matter what the yeah. ambient temperature, mm-hmm. te- temperature is. And it's always at like 15 miles an hour. Yeah. It's kind of a wind tunnel down there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, you talk about the cold weather. Obviously, we're starting to get into serious cold weather time now. Uh, if you, if somebody walks up to you and says, you know what, I think I want to try commuting in the winter this year, what's the first thing you tell them? What's like the number one thing that someone has to know or be ready for? Yeah, first on, like, rock on, man. Like, you should definitely, everybody who loves bicycles yeah. should definitely try commuting by bike. And every person who likes commuting should definitely try to ride their bikes to work in the winter. Um, I think that a couple things that, you know, come to mind are like you, your body is really smart. Your body will do what it needs to, to keep itself Mm -hmm. like warm and comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can help it. Uh, you know, you need to put fuel in the tank. You need to make sure that you are like eating well and regularly and Mm -hmm. drinking well and regularly. Um, and that's the kind of thing where, you know, you might have to spend an extra five or 10 minutes in the morning saying like, no, I'm going to eat like an extra pop tart and right. like, drink an extra glass of water. Mm-hmm. Um, cause your body needs that stuff mm-hmm. to, to run for yep. the engine to turn. Um, and then I find that like, I am always surprised literally every day by how warm I become when I'm riding my bike, Interesting. you know, like the kind of clothing that you would want to wear standing at a bus stop yeah. is probably 20 degrees colder right. than the kind of stuff you want to mm-hmm. be wearing while you're, while you're riding your bike. Yeah. Um, so you, it's okay to walk outside and feel cold initially. I always say like, if you, if you feel comfortably cool, standing in what you want to wear mm-hmm. for your ride in your entryway before you've left the house. Mm-hmm. That's what you want to ride in. Interesting. Yeah. Just... That's, that's a, a big struggle for me because I don't like being cold at all. Yeah. And so I always overdress. Yeah. I always overdress. Well, give yourself a time limit, you know, say if I haven't warmed up in the first five minutes of mm-hmm. my ride, yeah. I can stop and I can put another layer on. Right. You know, you should always have a backup plan. Yeah. Um, but anybody can be cold for five minutes. Right. You can live with that for <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah. But, but probably before you know it, you'll warm back up. Yeah. That's, that's been my experience. At least. Yeah. That's a lot of really good insight. But the number one thing that I took away from what you just said was more pop tarts. <laughs> I'm into that. The important thing. <laughs> That's exactly right. You don't have to. You don't have to stop eating pop tarts when you leave the house. You can put one in your back pocket if you want. <laughs> nice. Nobody's gonna... ever mad when I eat pop tart at a stop sign. <laughs> so the lesson is eat all the pop tarts. I like it. I like it. What's from an equipment perspective? What are some of the basics that somebody needs to be a solid, you know, and be comfortable riding uh, in the winter? Yeah, I think. Um, whatever, whatever bicycle you already feel comfortable on, you'll, mm-hmm. you'll feel better just riding what you're familiar with mm-hmm. in the winter. Sure. Um, as a person who like, I, I like riding my bike in the winter. I'd rather have like a little bit of, uh, special setup for my winter riding. Mm-hmm. I personally, I really like riding on flat bars rather than drop bars in the winter. Interesting. I feel like it's a lot easier to, um, like if my fingers get cold, I can move them a lot mm-hmm. easier. Uh, I feel more confident riding in maybe patches of snow or ice. Sure. Um, wider, wider yeah. hands. And, yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think of myself like I'm Yolanda Neff with my elbows out 
yeah. and locked and yep. in my ready totally position. In control, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, it maybe makes things a little bit slower, but uh, I just prefer the the confidence of like a better steering. Yeah. Well, and the amount of time you're going to save by being in an aerodynamic tuck position is probably out the window when you hit that glare ice. <laughs> oh, yeah. It takes a lot longer to pick yourself up off of the ground than it does to lose a couple of watts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you ride flat pedals or do you ride clipped in? I like riding clipped in, um, but I think that that's mostly a factor of the distance of my commute. Sure. Uh, I think for for commutes shorter than five miles, I would just as soon ride flats. Mm-hmm. There's so many more options for like how to keep your feet warm, mm-hmm. what shoes and stuff you can wear on flat pedals, and that can change daily. Sure. Um, I really like the clipless, so that means like yep. uh, shoes or boots with Integrated cleats in with them. The, the pedals, I really yeah. like clipless winter boots because I like feeling more efficient, Mm -hmm. but they are very expensive even compared to summer clipless shoes or boots. Mm -hmm. And I think that people, it can be intimidating to decide like, Ooh, do I want these $250 boots or Mm -hmm. these $350 boots for my first time? Right. Yeah. I think if it's your first time riding in the winter, you should just pick a pair of plastic flat pedals and your favorite pair of hiking boots. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, yeah, it's amazing. You know, you can get some really high you know, mm-hmm. high end boots, mm-hmm. and obviously, with you what you've done, you know, with the arrow, uh, Arrowhead, yeah. you know, you've got some pretty high tech equipment. Yes, you get you plant. get what you pay for. Yep, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, what do you change your tires for the winter? I do. I prefer adding like two to four millimeters of of tire mm-hmm. for just for who whatever you're running already. Just yep. like. Adding a chunkier tire gives you a little bit more confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, it does like mean that you have a greater rolling resistance, um, but it can just be a better experience mm-hmm. overall. So I, I just I add like a slightly chunkier tread, and um, I I opt for one studded tire in the front. In the front, yeah. Um, I don't personally find the need for two studded tires, um, like not one in the front and rear. Like the front tire is what you end up maneuvering the most. Mm -hmm. So it's more important that it has like good grip and traction for your tire. That's my, that's my experience Mm -hmm. riding on the road. It's a little bit different if you're riding trails. It it might be nicer to have traction in the front then. Yep. Absolutely. You, uh, you talked a little bit about the clothing choices that you make, uh, for your winter commute. What, what do you typically Mm -hmm. ride? If, you know, let's say it's, it's 20 degrees. What's your, what's your clothing look like? Yeah. My go-to, I really like riding with, um, tights that don't have a chamois in it. So that padding Mm. that you find in, in, um, bike shorts, shorts. I don't like riding with that in the winter. Hmm. I find that, uh, I begin sweating. And then when I sweat, uh, that just becomes like, you get clammy and and yeah. Yep. And I don't, I don't especially like that. So I, I opt for something without a chamois. And then just like a pair of baggy shorts over top. Mm-hmm. Um, cut off jeans work fine for 20 degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just something to like cover your bum to yep. just to make give give yourself like a couple more degrees. Sure. Feet. Yeah. What, yeah. Do, what do you wear on uh, your upper layers? I like opting for like a lightweight long sleeve shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, one one layer of like fluff. So mm-hmm. like a cheap fleece. Or maybe like a small vest if it's as warm as 20 degrees. Mm-hmm. And then I just like having like some kind of wind layer. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, normally like a very thin jacket with pockets. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. So it's not really that. I mean, at that temperature, which isn't super cold, mm-hmm. you're, you're not really wearing a lot of heavy no. layers. Yeah. What's your, what's your floor temperature wise? I mean, like do you what have is a, the what's coolest your, I will yeah, ride in? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, I think that, you know, there's no bad weather, just bad clothing. <laughs> but I I really hit my lower limit last year during Arrowhead when, like, the, the start of that event, it was 15 below and the temperature was dropping throughout, throughout the day. Um, <laughs> I, like, I personally, like, most of my body was warm, mm-hmm. but I had a really hard time keeping my hands and feet warm. Um, I did everything I could think of. I like fed myself more. I mm-hmm. like 
to put on more layers. And yeah. like I, I personally just didn't find any any kind of comfort from the setup I had. So I, I'm going to go ahead and say 20 below. Yeah. Wow. That's <laughs> uh, that's 20 degrees below my lowest ever yeah. that I've ridden. And uh, I hope to yeah. keep pushing it, though. I want to I want to keep pushing the envelope. Really? I really think that it's not you know, that's not the lower limit. It's just the lower limit for like what I had experienced. Yeah, yeah, it. sure. Wow, that's ambitious. So in case you're just joining us, you're listening to Blast Beats and Bicycles here at 91.7 FM, McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. Risa Husted is joining us, and we're talking about winter commuting. It is getting to be that time of the year. Uh, Risa, we've, we've hinted a little bit at your experience with the Arrowhead 135. Tell people who might not be familiar what that race is all about. Yeah, Arrowhead 135 is one of the oldest, longest distance fat bike races in the in the U.S., mm-hmm. um, it's an ultra marathon race that is 135 miles between um, International Falls, Minnesota, and Tower, Minnesota. Uh, so it's it's primarily on snowmobile trail. So it's like thick, packed snow. Mm-hmm. Um, most people ride fat bikes um, during that race between like 3.8 size tires and like 3.8 inches. Um, I mean, depending on like who you are, your weight and your preferences. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you obviously, you you mentioned that you had some challenges with, with the weather is, did you have a, an experience that was motivating enough to try it again? Or have you checked that box? Yes. No. Um, I actually like, I think that I have started and not finished Arrowhead more than any other person at oh, this is time. That right? Yeah. Wow. I I love the race and I love the like the area that you're riding through. Mm-hmm. It's a huge challenge for me though. Hmm. I mean, I it's a nut that I can't crack and I I don't take defeat well. So <laughs> I just I just keep going back to it thinking like what what can I do differently? That's <laughs> like, awesome. <laughs> well, good. So are you going to do it again this year? I am, yeah. You are. That's yeah. fantastic. Good for you. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Have you started training? Uh, I don't, I don't know that I would call what I do to prepare for Arrowhead training. Okay. Like you have to be physically fit enough to ride 135 miles. Right. But like, I know I'm, I know that that's, that's lined up. I'm, I'm physically fit enough to ride 10 miles Mm -hmm. an hour for 30 hours. Yeah. That's, that's a really low bar in Mm -hmm. terms of fitness. The things that are required I think to be successful at that race are like having a solid clothing system, mm-hmm. having a well-dialed nutrition plan, mm-hmm. um and having realistic goals mm-hmm. um and being able to like execute yeah. those those goals. Wow. Yeah. So what's your goal for finishing time for this this edition? Gosh, it really depends on what the conditions are. I mean, the fastest that it's been finished is like 15 hours. Wow. Which that's an insane pace. Yeah. I think. Yep. Um, but there have been years where it took, it took people 24 or 25 hours Mm -hmm. to be first place. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's totally condition dependent. Um, I would love to try to contend for a top three place, but, but really at the end of the day, like this particular race is it's much more important to me that I am able to ride within myself and finish and well finish, yeah. um, than it is for me to yeah. like, contend for a, a place. Well, it sounds like you're motivated enough by the event that, you know, you can build on goals, right? right. Build on successes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I want to get back to some of the winter commuting stuff. And, yeah. and I was struck by, you know, the discussion of the terrain of Arrowhead. And it made me think about the, the winter riding skills that you need for commuting. You know, how yeah. do you, how does the way you change, you ride the bike change from summer to winter? Yeah. Well, in the summer, I'm going to be honest. I am roadie scum through and through (laughs) like I like having the lightest fastest bike and I like having like the most aggressive position and I like going as fast as I physically can like (laughs) I basically don't change how I ride um in a road race compared to like how I ride to work (laughs) if I can I'll try to break 25 miles an hour where it's possible wow um in in the winter I'm much more aware of um, like the conditions change quickly. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be able to like see where I'm riding, mm-hmm. see if anything is different, see if like, oh, yesterday this 
area was clear of snow and ice, but Mm -hmm. today there is an inch of snow in that, in that spot there. Right. Um, or like I see that there is like probably glare ice Mm -hmm. in like 20 feet. Mm -hmm. So I prefer a more upright position. I prefer to have like more options available to me, Mm -hmm. like to keep myself comfortable. Mm -hmm. So I, I always try to have a bike that has like a frame bag or maybe like a little saddle bag Mm -hmm. so that, um, I can have like an extra layer, maybe like have a snack mm-hmm. depending on how hangry I'm feeling. <laughs> um, and I, I like, like I said, I like having flat bars. I like, I like my bike being upright. Um, and then I, I normally, f- I find myself like braking with my rear brake fairly often mm-hmm. just to prevent myself from having to lean my bike over very far. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of times where like in the summer, I'm totally fine taking a corner yep. as far over as my pedals mm-hmm. will allow me. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the winter, I'm just a lot less interested in doing that. I know that the grip on my tires just isn't as good because, right. um, it's because less footprint surface, on the, and yeah. yeah, all of that because mm-hmm. the surfaces could just be slippery mm-hmm. too. Yep. When you see a patch of glare ice, coming up in front of you how do you mm-hmm. how do you approach that i mean it depends on the timing i'd i'd love to say that like i just go around something that could be like sketchy or icky right right but sometimes like the like the area that you're riding doesn't allow that either like maybe the glare ice is like in the bike path mm-hmm. and you could move over into a lane of traffic to right. get around it but it, that's it's not just practical. not right. yeah exactly sometimes it's just not practical mm-hmm. if you see glare ice in front of you um Honestly, if you are traveling the same direction through the glare ice, um, you'll probably just pass through it just fine. Yeah. Like if you just remain upright, keep your bars steering straight ahead and just mm. look where you want to go without making any sudden movements. Yeah. So um, normally I turn. feel like yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, that's always a tricky thing. And even on my fat bike, I've hit ice and just mm-hmm. before you know it, you're on your side and wondering yeah. how you got there and <laughs> just remain calm and sit up and take a breath and think like, I need to go straight ahead. <laughs> yeah. It'd be cool. <laughs> be cool. I like not, it. Not sideways. <laughs> <laughs> no. How often do you, uh, do you clean your bike in the winter? Once in Thanksgiving time and then once in April. Really? Wow. Yeah. I mean, I do think it's important to try to keep your bike in good working order throughout the winter, mm-hmm. but I think that there are a lot of like, I think at some point you just have to be realistic, right? Like perform basic triage mm-hmm. on your commuter bike. Say like, Hmm, there is standing ice on my derailleur. <laughs> I should probably I let, make that, it hard. Yeah. let that thaw. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, like while I lube my chain frequently throughout mm-hmm. the winter, mm-hmm. um, just to keep it functional, like I expect to, toss my chain Mm. by spring. I just expect the road salt to have degraded it to Mm -hmm. a point where I'm not going to want to use it that, that next year. Right. So, um, I just try to limit, limit the damage that can happen to the bike. Catastrophic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wow. So, uh, I need to take a break and do a public service announcement. Um, we have, um, a program board in collaboration with the German Russian department. Uh, I actually got a Russian minor here at McAllister, uh, is providing subsidized transportation for the talk from Nazis to neo-Nazis at the Mitchell Hamlin school of law. Uh, you can join, uh, Fred Amram, uh, Holocaust survivor and Ellen Kennedy from world without genocide. And, uh, to hear about the support for Nazis in the U S in the thirties and forties. And then the spike in neo-Nazism, uh, today you can pick up bus tokens from the, uh, PB office either on Monday between 11 and two Wednesday, four to six or Friday from three 30 to five 30. You are listening to Blast Beats and Bicycles here at 91.7 FM, McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. We're here with Risa Husted uh, talking a little bit about uh, winter commuting. Um, but I want to talk now, I want to shift gears with you, Risa, because you've been pretty active uh, lately in trying to make some changes to some pretty significant infrastructure in, in the state. Right. Um, the 35W Bridge uh, has a nice bike path planned on it, um, but it seems like it might be hard to get on and off. Yeah, exactly. So um, like we just described my commute, I'm a person who I travel from Black Dog Road to Burnsville, mm-hmm. um, to my to my workplace in Burnsville every day. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that there is a section of trail that I take between Black Dog Road and Cliff Road mm-hmm. that is basically unusable 
Wow. Um, for like a long period. Because of the there's year. river on it. Yes, yes, because <laughs> it is actually part of Black Dog Lake half of the summer. <laughs> Black Dog Lake just kind of expands yep. for about 180 days this year and nice. counting. Um, and it just kind of sits on this trail that I'm supposed to use to get to work. Right. Which I think, you know, for right now, like that I'm kind of a special use case. Mm -hmm. um, not a lot of people use this section of trail. But I became aware that the the new project um, that's opening a new bridge on I-35W, so like those, that Minnesota River Bridge is being replaced mm -hmm. with a new bridge. I became aware that a bike and pedestrian lane was going in on that bridge, but that bikers and pedestrians would be expected to use this section of trail to to get to the bridge to right. and from the bridge and um i i began connecting with um the minnesota department of transportation and the city of burnsville asking like hey are you aware of the the issues of access mm -hmm. on this trail and uh the sound answer was yes we are aware of the issues and it is somebody else's problem. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was very it was very direct and also fairly disheartening. I bet. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, nobody's taken ownership of the of the challenge that they've created. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, on paper it looks like a really good idea. There's already a trail here. Mm -hmm. Um, why build a why build something extra between Black Dog Road and Cliff Road right. when there's a trail already built here? Mm -hmm. Um but in in practice, that trail is not usable right now. It won't accommodate the kinds of traffic right. that that the bridge will see mm -hmm. um, in the next year or so. Yeah, in in its current form. What uh, what is the schedule for the project for the br the bridge being built and that and that bike lane being put there? Well, the the bike lane is going to open in fall of twenty twenty one. Okay, in true MnDOT form. Um, <laughs> It being the only bike and pedestrian crossing for several miles in either direction. Yeah. They decided to hold off four years till wow. the end of the project to open that. So at least we have we have a little bit of time before the bridge opens mm -hmm. to see if we can perform some kind of we can get some kind of support to to upgrade mm -hmm. the section of trail. So that people can get to the new bridge. Yeah. Does the does the issue uh, uh, affect both the south end at Black Dog and the north end where you would get on in, in Bloomington on the north side of the, of the Minnesota River, or is it really just that that end? Uh, While on the, south the side? north side does flood, it doesn't it doesn't flood to the extent that the that the south side does. Mm -hmm. the The exit on the north end, um, like currently, requires a person to travel. Uh, off of the new bridge, straight down to the bank of the river. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, straight south. And then straight north again, up Lindale. Mm. And Lindale itself doesn't flood. Right. So um, the ho hopefully the area where bikes are being directed mm -hmm. at, at that turning point mm -hmm. will not also flood. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people are also very concerned about the north part of the river, though. I mean, it, it does seem really borderline cruel to ask somebody to take a sharp right-hand turn straight down into a parking lot and then go straight back up a 4% mm -hmm. grade, yeah. adding what could have been about a quarter of a mile. Um, it, instead, that turns into about two miles and includes two steep hills. Wow. Um, if you're a person who's trying to travel straight north, right. you have to basically go through two hairpins, mm -hmm. and one of them is a steep hill. Straight up a hill, yeah. <laughs> right. Wow. So I know the folks on the north side of the river are also looking for mm -hmm. some options, some alignment changes for th for their side. Yeah. How uh, how much time would this bridge take from off of your commute when it's built? Oh, my gosh. I mean... In, in the best case scenario right now, so like when old Cedar Avenue Bridge is not underwater yep. and accessible, mm -hmm. um, it will take about four miles off of my commute. Wow. But in the worst case scenario, so when the, the river is really high mm -hmm. and I just can't get to the old Cedar Bridge mm -hmm. because that area is also prone to flooding, right. I go all the way to... Um, to 494 or Mendota. So I'm looking wow. at about a 24 mile route 
man. So that's literally a 10 miles off of my commute. Yeah. And that's just one way. Right. That's uh, dramatic savings. I mean, so if if you can get the project to where it should be, it's a real benefit to you, right? Oh, yeah. There is about 20 miles difference between the 494 bridge and the 101 bridge, the, mm-hmm. the two closest bridges that are not prone to flooding. Wow. For for pedestrian and bicycle yeah. crossings. Yeah. yeah. So so the like the regional need is really there and spelled out pretty clearly. Yeah. I mean obviously we see cars going over the 35W bridge all the time down on the Minnesota River. I mean it's yeah. all it's a big traffic challenge there. How many, do you have a sense of how many bike and pedestrian uh, bridge users there will be or there could be? Well, the the greatest recorded number of people crossing the Mendota Bridge is like 1,500 hmm. um, in a day. Okay. So I can't see why, you know, with with like the right, the right group rides happening... I can see I can see a group of fifteen hundred people crossing wow. the new thirty five W bridge in a day. That's exciting. Yeah, I mean that's that's almost to the point of uh, like the Midtown Greenway traffic levels. Oh yeah, the the thing that's important about bicycle infrastructure is people are totally willing to take their bike mm-hmm. to replace a car trip. You know, fifty percent of Americans say that they would like to replace one of their car trips a week wow. with a bike ride. Hmm. Which, which that's huge. It is. But for all of those kinds of people, they also say their barriers include like they're not being safe bikeways mm-hmm. or the route itself being just too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, like this is an opportunity where we can open up a lot of opportunities for a smaller ride. Mm-hmm. So like a person who just needs to go from the high school in Bloomington to the high school in Burnsville, right? You know that's a that's a six mile ride mm-hmm. at most. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's a person who could easily replace a car trip with, with this infrastructure. But asking that same person to ride all the way down to Old Cedar Bridge and then back uh, again on the yeah. other side, yeah, that's yeah, crazy. That's, that's asking too much for right. for a normal person. I mean, it's basically <laughs> double the double the length of exactly. the route, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so, obviously, you've commuted uh, for a long time down that that yeah. way, that direction. How did you first find out about this challenge with the bridge? Well, I began asking, um, you know, when my when my company moved to Burnsville, um, I, I was aware of the bridge project mm-hmm. and I began asking about the the, the planned route, mm-hmm. how we would get to it, what it would look like. Mm-hmm. And I, I just knew when I saw the plans that there was going to be more work required mm-hmm. on both sides mm-hmm. from the city of Burnsville and the city of Bloomington to fill in some of their infrastructure gaps. Mm-hmm. And so, um, as you think about the organizations that you've had to work with, you talked about MnDOT, you mm-hmm. talked about uh, City of Burnsville. There's Bloomington involvement, obviously. What I mean, other than just like it's not my problem. What's been the response from people? Are people open to the conversation, or are you kind of you know barking up a tree that's not listening? To well, I think mash I'll, up a metaphor. I think early on, you know, there was a lot of real confusion about whose responsibility the like connecting those bikeways mm-hmm. was and and understandably like everybody wants to say it's somebody else's problem sure. but once you get a bunch of people in a room to say like no in fact like this part is this group's responsibility this part is this group's responsibility mm-hmm. and you recognize like the solution is just going to come from collaboration from all three of you mm-hmm. you know let's get the ball rolling sooner rather than later mm-hmm. um and and also once i began organizing with other people I realized how big of an issue it was for so many different commuters in that area. Mm. Um, I, I was able really quickly to see like, Oh, this is a big deal for everybody. involved. Mm-hmm. People are really like both, both organizations, MnDOT and the city of Burnsville mm-hmm. have both taken the issue a lot more seriously. Once, once folks were able to start communicating their concerns That's directly great. to yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. I know you had some challenges. You went in front of the city hall, city council uh, in Burnsville and yes. pretty classic video on Facebook, actually. Right. Um, talk about that. Was that the first time you had been in front of them as an organization? Yeah, that was that's actually the only time I've addressed the council directly. OK. Um, I am friends with a lot of the council members. They're they're very nice people. I like working with them. That's great. But there was a there was a real turning point for us where I realized that 
we were getting answers and they just weren't the answers we needed. Hmm. I realized like the people in power just don't know how big of an issue this is. Mm -hmm. And I really just, I really just need to take a second when everybody is paying attention and just say like, Hey, this is an issue that I see coming up. I want to save the city a lot of money. I want to save everybody a lot of time. Mm -hmm. I want to get the ball rolling now. Who's with me? Wow. And um, that seems like a very proactive, positive. <laughs> how do you get how do you not get behind that? Well, you do. Right. I mean, the, the ball started rolling right after that. That's great. It really did. You know, if you if you if you're interested in watching a bit of local local politics, I would highly encourage you to watch the YouTube video. Um, it's a little bit classically comical <laughs> in that, like the mayor addresses me as like, like literally doesn't know the problem like literally doesn't understand like wow. the mayor is like well that's not our trail <laughs> like right. and and you can see in the background like the public works engineer is like working on his collar a little <laughs> bit like uh no that is our trail mayor cots <laughs> wow <laughs> um but but it, it took it took that you know it took addressing those folks to have have them really see like sure. see like okay there are people here who are talking about a problem but they're also here to talk about a solution. Mm -hmm. And uh, have you begun to develop uh, sort of champions in at least in Burnsville? I mean, are there people working yeah. now on your behalf yeah. inside the city? Yeah, at this point, I would really say all of the elected people at some level. Um, are sympathetic to, to our position. That's a great you know, first step. Every person is like, you don't have to be a biker to understand that after $128 million worth of this bridge project, mm -hmm. if you can't finish this last quarter mile, right? It it's, it's really a useless investment. Nobody wants to see that money go to waste. Right. Um, and then there are, there are bike advocates on city council who, who do say, you know, like, well, yeah, we've always wanted stronger bike networks, mm -hmm. and this is obviously a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. Raises the their issues up to a higher level as well. Right, right. The city of Burnsville wants to be able to let people bike and walk safely around mm -hmm. their city. And something that's kind of nice is this particular section of trail connects a loop that um, goes between Old Cedar and the new bridge. Mm -hmm. So you could you could ride for 20 miles unimpeded yeah. um, around this area if if you can get to it. Right. That's the um, trick. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's huge value for really everybody involved. There's no loser here. Yeah. And so what's been the what's been the response from uh the Mindot so far? Well, um Mindot, it's still their position that they, you know, it couldn't have happened differently. Like it's not it's not their problem. They have hmm. a long history of um not finishing connecting bikeways of uh like turning a blind eye at the laws that say that they have to offer certain accommodations hmm. when they use public funds um i see that there are a lot of people working f within mindot who who want to see that change but i you know it's like it's a it's a big boat that turns slowly yeah so right right yeah so at this point, is your best bet to get Burnsville behind you and have them kind of help finish the project? Right. Yeah. yeah. At this at this point, it's best to work with the city of Burnsville, who, mm -hmm. I mean, if we're being honest, like they're the victims here. They have right. a section of trail that really the Minnesota Department of Transportation should have had a plan to connect users from mm -hmm. the new bridge to the city of Burnsville. Yeah. Um, they're, they are being, you know, like great champions for their own city by mm -hmm. saying like, Hey, we, we require some support. We require some, yeah. like, some assistance getting this, this little gap closed. So, uh, you've obviously got at least moral support from yeah. the city council, which is huge, right? Getting yes. them to say, yes, we, we agree with you. Yeah. Um, has there been any movement to create like a working group or a study or any kind of movement to actually make something in the space. Yeah. So right now the city of Burnsville is working on a feasibility study to identify mm -hmm. how difficult it would be to raise the trail in its current alignment mm -hmm. up out of the floodplain, at least a couple feet. Okay. Um, which could, could be really valuable depending on how, th how they do it. Mm -hmm. Um, we'll have to wait for the feasibility study to be out. Hopefully it will be available towards the end of December. Really? That yeah. that soon? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And hopefully we will be looking at a, a public meeting session in February or mm -hmm. March. 
That's fantastic. So they, yeah. they seem to have moved pretty quickly once you raise the the awareness. Yeah, it turns out if you stuff people's inboxes with angry emails <laughs> and stuff people, gets done. people begging for solutions. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, uh, <laughs> you know, civics 101, right? Right. You squeak, squeaky wheel, so to speak, gets the uh, gets the grease, right? I think what's important here, though, is, you know, we're not just a group of stinky bikers who are complaining like, hey, this is bad make it better. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I think something that's been very important with this whole process is the messaging like, Hey, we see an opportunity to increase access across this regional barrier Mm -hmm. by a hundred percent. Right. We're here to help you. We're here to champion Mm -hmm. your city and access to your city. Um, we're just hoping that you take our issue seriously and fast track this problem because yeah. this bridge is opening in a year and a half and we want to be able to use it. Mm-hmm. You know, stay, stay with the positive, stay with, you know, we're here to help. We're here to support you. Yeah. 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 Help me help you works a lot better than pitchforks and torches, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's It's a, I mean, it's a perfect case study of how to make something happen in, in government, especially at a local level. Right. So you've talked about we a lot. I know you've been sort of a, a, a face for this, yeah. but you've, you've gathered a group of people around you. It sounds like talk about who else has been involved in, in advocating and in working on this. Yeah. So, um, I definitely early on, I was, I was kind of perplexed that, that the plans looked the way that they did because, Mm -hmm. you know, in my hometown of Minneapolis, there are so many bicycle advocacy groups. Mm -hmm. I, in my mind, I was just like, Oh, this, this can't be right. Like somebody is on. There's people for this. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like this is what my give to the max day dollars goes to. (laughs) Right. right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I realized really quickly that Burnsville and South of the river, there are a lot of people riding in that area, Mm -hmm. but there's not a, connected advocacy group, Hmm. um, which is, you know, that's fine. Like there's opportunity to build one there. Absolutely. Um, so really early on, I was just like, who, who can help me with this one thing, Mm -hmm. this, this one problem that I see. And it very quickly, I very quickly realized that there were these different, um, like strong, small, but strong networks of different bike people Mm -hmm. in and around the area. Mm -hmm. Like, there were people who, you know, like they meet up every Thursday to work on the local mountain bike trail. Wow. Or people who, you know, show up um, every time there is a race at Buck Hill mm-hmm. to make sure that that race gets gets put on well. That's great. Um, yeah. And all all that needed to happen was like those people needed to come together mm-hmm. and network with each other. Mm-hmm. And now we're building something great. I don't know what it's going to look like in a year, mm-hmm. um, but I really want to see it. Um, continue to grow. And I, I think it's already really grown beyond, beyond my control. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, that's the kind of thing you put a, put a child out in the world yeah, and, you yeah, know, exactly. watch it grow. And yeah. Uh, in a perfect world, what's the solution? I mean, is that raising the trail up above the floodplain the right answer or are there other ways that this could get done that would be more effective? Yeah. In my mind, there are, there are three options that, okay. that are reasonable. Um, I don't think that all, I mean, all of the options have flaws and, uh, we just have to work with what we have. Yep. Um, but you know, one option is like, a you know, setting, setting aside the shoulder of 35 W from cliff road to black dog road mm-hmm. so that people could ride their bikes on the shoulder of mm. the interstate. Um, that would probably be make for like a fairly unpleasant ride. Yeah. Um, but it would use infrastructure that's already there. It would be very cheap. Good, um, would you put like some bollards up or some yeah, kind of you physical need to have some barrier? kind of physical protection for the people using that corridor. So I suppose it's not unlike what happens on the 55 bridge by right. by the the airport today. Yeah, exactly. There are lots of times where where something is done in that way. Mm-hmm. It's just it's irregular for something like that to happen in Minnesota because it's illegal to ride a bicycle on the, shoulder, on the interstate right. mm-hmm. um, on any controlled access right. highway. Yep. So we would literally need legislative change to mm. make that happen. Um, I don't know how enthused I am about that idea, but I I do think it's worth looking into. It's a, it's a bigger, trickier problem. Yes. You know, you've got a lot more competing yes. interests up at the legislature. I can, right. I can say from experience. Right. A lot lower dollar amount, mm-hmm. um, in terms of like what goes into the infrastructure. But I mean, you'd literally be looking at yeah. several legislative years mm-hmm. to change that. Yep. Um, another alignment option, you know, is, is raising the trail at its current state. Um, the city of Burnsville has 
said that they would consider, you know, raising the low points. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, up a couple of feet. Right. I really hope that that they that their idea of a couple of feet is like four or five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I hope that we're talking about a much more flood resistant mm-hmm. plane. And um, yeah, it's not. We're not going to flood less in the future, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Just because of the surface use north mm-hmm. of the river, yep. um, we're looking at like we're expecting these kinds of flood levels in the foreseeable future, yeah. like every year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so I will hold my judgment until I see those plans, mm-hmm. until I see like, OK, exactly how often would these plans? Flood? Yeah. Um, one third option is instead of routing people in between this like Black Dog Lake, which floods. Yep. Uh, all the time. A long time. Um, <laughs> and this wetland area, which mm-hmm. is like a holding pond on the side of the highway. Yep. I would like I would like them to consider just running users on the east side of the Black Dog exit ramps. Mm-hmm. Um, there's already raised ground in that area. Mm-hmm. There's already infrastructure there. To me, it seems like it, that's that's a no brainer kind of solution where it's yeah. like, if you already have something built here, mm-hmm. you already have something high above the floodplain here. Can you build off of this? Can you route people on the side of this built infrastructure um, rather than, you know, fixing something that's yeah. kind of already broke? Would that require cyclists to go across the off ramp then? I believe that you could route cyclists on the shoulder of the off ramp. Okay. Down to, you know, like if you were a, if you were a person traveling north um on the off ramp you would stop at a stop sign yep well you're already expected to stop at that stop sign right um if you're if you're a motorist or if you're a cyclist yep um and then cross the interchange and travel on the inside of the interchange oh okay sure with the new bridge yeah i know it seems a little bit complicated when i describe it but um, people have actually already been doing that with the flooding like people have already been walking their bikes up to the interchange to get around huh. this flooded area. Interesting. And it seems totally, totally safe and reasonable. I yeah. would, I would like, um, I would like some more like physical protection for us sure. to, to isolate us a little bit from vehicles yep. decelerating mm-hmm. from, from the interstate. But I think it's a reasonable f- consideration. That's great. Yeah. And, and what's been the response from, uh, Burnsville, uh, to that idea? Well, I think that, uh, <laughs> Burnsville and MnDOT understand that they will have to collaborate no matter what. Yep. Like this is going to require some kind of solution. Collaboration. Like, looks, yeah. Yeah. It looks like them working together. Mm-hmm. Um, that particular solution does require more handshakes, mm-hmm. um, but less total taxpayer money. Hmm. So the fiscal conservative in me says, yeah, you know, deal with it, make friends right. for a couple of months while yeah. you work on these plans mm-hmm. and, you know, save, save us all. A lot of save money. us all. Yeah. yeah. Is it any feasibility study been done or proposed on that option? Because it would have to be a joint effort. That feasibility is farther off basically. Yeah. Yep. Um, but hopefully there will be something preliminary available in early February. That's great. Yeah. You uh, you talked about this uh, feasibility study on the raising the trail option, option mm-hmm. two, um, coming in mid-December. Yeah. What are some of the next steps that could come out of that? I mean, where, where does the project go after that first analysis? Well, at some point, MnDOT and Burnsville and Bloomington are going to basically have a listening session where everybody can come and air their grievances, so to speak. <laughs> it's um, Festivus. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that at that point, the that is where the ball will get rolling. I think okay. that they're waiting for that to take the temperature of people's enthusiasm mm-hmm. for different options mm-hmm. and and work from that. I think that right now, the powers that be don't really believe that it's as much of a problem mm. as we've been letting on. Right. Um, as you know, as we've shown it, it is going, it is mm-hmm. basically. Um, and I think that they're basically waiting, waiting to be proven wrong, so yep. to speak. Mm-hmm. So, so first they're going to take the temperature of like people's enthusiasm. Sure. And it would be great if we could pack 
pack that meeting with 100 or 200 bikers and pedestrian enthusiasts. Has it been scheduled yet? It's not scheduled. I don't understand really why they're dragging their feet on a date. Hmm. Um, but to be fair, I'm the kind of person who plans my own birthday party the day after my birthday. <laughs> so I'm not one to speak. I'll play right. to my strengths and let the powers that be figure out when this meeting is going to be in their own time. Well, keep us posted on that because we definitely want yeah. to get the word out and make sure that people show up uh, yeah. for that. What other things can people do uh, today to help yeah. move this along? Yeah. So there, there are basically three groups of people that need to hear that like this is important to them yep. and they should look into it more or less. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the Minnesota Department of Transportation. Mm-hmm. You can email Kirsten Klein, who's mm-hmm. the communications director of the current project. Mm-hmm. Um, Kirsten Klein has been on and off with with bike advocates. Um, she's made it very clear that she doesn't want to be emailed which is a good reason to email her. <laughs> she doesn't like want it. anything to do with getting people safely to their destination across the river bridge. Nice. So you can email her at Kirsten Klein. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll make sure to share her email address uh, from the show. And then with the city of Burnsville, mm-hmm. Ryan Peterson with the city is the public works director. Mm-hmm. He's been accepting comment um, on the project on quote, his side of the river on the Burnsville okay. side of the river. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the city of Burnsville, you can you can just like email Kirk Spencer mm-hmm. at the at the city of Bloomington. I'm sorry if I said that wrong. Yeah. And we'll have all those um, those email addresses Great. in the in the notes. Yeah. And um, are there some particular city council members in Burnsville that are not as excited about this that we should really try and help people communicate with? I think right now we need to be working, working with the folks that are enthusiastic. OK. Um, I'm going to be honest. I would prefer comments that are going to Burnsville to go directly to Burnsville city staff. Mm-hmm. Um, the the city manager, Melanie Mesco Lee and Ryan Peterson okay. are the two contacts that I would rather be working with more Great. directly. I think that the city council feels, feels strongly um, that, that a solution needs to be looked at and, mm-hmm. and the people that can really get the gears turning are the, those are the staff, staff people? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I know you started a Facebook group. Yeah. Um, is can you tell people a little bit about that? Yeah. So the I thirty five W Minnesota River Bridge Access Action Group. I know it's a huge mouthful, but I am a stickler for good names. <laughs> I really want my names to be specific and clear to the point. Yep. Um, good. Hopefully, I'll shorten it once. <laughs> we'll we'll once find an appropriate acronym. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> a new bike to the first person who can come up with an acronym for all that. Um, so that's a great place to look for more information. Um, after, you know, the fifth friend told me that they had to unfollow me on Facebook because of all my live posts of me walking my bike through this Mm -hmm. swamp water, I decided, okay, like everything about the river bridge is going to go in one place and one place only. And people have been really good about that. There are, I think 135 members as of today. And that's great. The the group only opened a couple of weeks ago. So people are really enthusiastic about it. That's fantastic. Yeah, That's where people have been sharing information, sharing like, Oh, this is the letter that I sent to my state representative. This is the letter I got back from the the mayor of Burnsville. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, it sounds like you've really built a a great coalition, a a lot of support for this. And and I am tremendous, tremendously admiring of the work that you've done to bring people together and to have it be so positive. I mean, so often you see today people just yelling about stuff without trying to find a common ground and a positive result. And I think you've done a really nice job of making that happen. Oh, don't get me wrong. I did a lot of yelling, too. (laughs) Well, sometimes it takes that to be heard, right? Right, right. But I think if you don't provide a solution or suggest, you know, a, a path forward, it makes it harder for people to get on your yeah, side. Yeah, we really want to work with people so that we can all come to, to something that we can all use together. That's great. Yeah. It's been amazing. We've already blown through an hour uh, talking about this stuff. Thank you for coming back to the show, Risa. Yeah, of course. Thanks yeah. so much for having me, Jason. Absolutely. And so we will make sure to get out all of the email addresses to the people we want to talk to yeah. on the show. And uh, you're going to be back in in a couple of weeks to talk about the bike business. Yeah. Right? I love it. You're like a regular, you know, guest. It's cool. You're going to have to give me like a talking stick so that you can limit my airtime. <laughs> Risa's been on air for two and a half hours. 
hours in total. You know, the beauty of cutting you off. The beauty of having you on the show is that people don't have to listen to me as much. (laughs) So that's a win for everybody. It's been a real pleasure talking to you, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for coming in, Risa. We're going to take ourselves out. As always, this has been Blast Beats and Bicycles here at 91.7 FM, McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. Bicycle, bicycle, bicycle. I want to ride my bicycle, bicycle, bicycle. I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride my bike. To ride my bicycle, I want to ride it where I like. You say black, I say white, you say bar, I say bright, you say sharp, I say him and George was never my scene, and I don't like Star Wars. You say Rose, I say Royce, you say God, give me a choice. Say Lord, I say Christ, I don't believe in Peter Pan, Frankenstein, or Superman.